source for all that is fitness. Ontario Muscle. Subscribe. Hey everybody, Jeff here from Ontario Muscle again, bringing you another edition of the Ontario Muscle Radio podcast. And we're super excited tonight to have IFBB Pro Robin Strand joining us. Welcome to the show, Robin. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. We're absolutely super excited. I think you're the first IFBB Pro that we've we've had on the show, so that's a pretty exciting milestone for us. Nice. Hopefully, not the last. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hopefully not the last, but you know what? One of the goals is to is to is to speak to the range of people that are in the sport in Ontario, from the pros to the guys stepping on stage for for the first time. It's really good that we have a lot of good pros like yourself in Ontario who are really involved in the community, and, and we're really happy that you were willing to come out and, and spend some time chatting with us. We'll try not to take too long, uh, but everybody out there wants to, to get to know you. Uh, from my cool. perspective, you, you kind of burst on the scene a few years back, and here was this big, massive man that's about to step on stage, and, and next thing you know, he was pro and, and placing in the top 10 directly after on the same same day, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Right. Everybody wants to know where everybody comes from. So why don't you give everyone a little bit of a background about where you grew up and, and what kind of a kid you were? Were you um, athletic, sports-oriented? Uh, was lifting a passion from your youth and that kind of thing? Like, like what, 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 what were people going to see if they looked back at 15-year-old Robin? Sure. Um, well, we can go back to, you know, I was born in Toronto, uh, which is where I live now. But I lived for most of my younger years in Sutton, which is like up north a little bit more, um, near, um, Lake Simcoe. Okay. So that's, that's where I lived until, uh, about high school. Right. Um, uh, actually grade 12. So I, I went through like, uh, elementary school and, and middle school and most of my high school and then moved back to Toronto when I was in grade 12. So when I was living in Sutton, um, it was a great place to grow up for a kid because there's lots of things to do outside. Um, most of the time I was outside climbing trees, uh, we'd walk in forests and, you know, catch lizards. Um, in the winter time we'd go like, you know, tobogganing and, you know, we'd be riding our bikes out till late and stuff like that. So, you know, I was really active as a kid. Um, I wasn't really into sports, you know, I kind of felt like my legs were a little too long. Um, I was a little awkward when I tried playing soccer. Uh, I didn't really like to play sports very much but I did get into badminton a little bit in high school I like that um because it was intense I like the intensity of badminton especially when you're playing one-on-one or two-on-two uh it's fast paced and I like that um I got into skateboarding a little bit as well and uh, I got pretty heavily into paintball when I was about 16 and I played paintball uh, for a couple years pretty hardcore I got obsessed about that and you know I loved it for years and uh, then when I moved to high school Sorry, when I moved to Toronto for grade 12 of high school, that's when I got like really heavy into lifting. Um, and that's when I did my first show after, you know, lifting for about eight months. I signed up for a, a natural show with the UFE, UFE okay. uh, yep. Spring Bash in 2010. And uh, I did that and I was instantly hooked. And okay. here we are, you know, 10 years later, still going. So, wow, that's yeah. amazing. And so badminton, and of course, I'm picturing you now. What are you weighing today? About 300 million pounds? Yeah, I'm 300 now, but yeah, I wasn't, I was barely 150 back then. So, oh, yeah. wow. See, that's a considerable growth since then. Of course, you know, growing up and whatnot. And then yeah. badminton, like I've played badminton with some serious folks. Like, like that's not easy. Like, 
that's a fast-paced sport. Everyone kind of looks at it and says, "No, nah, you know what? You're lobbing the birdie back and forth." But you got to go like gangbusters to get it. So you were you were a more smaller, yeah. agile individual when you were young. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, like especially with uh, badminton, paintball, um, being agile, being fast, and being small had its advantages. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I, like paintball is something that I've I've never done, and, and here's why: I was out with a friend of mine who had a paintball gun, and he put it over my quad and shot it. And yeah. I'm like, that hurts like mental. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I'm the kind of guy that gets down in the trench and kind of does one of these things. And, and you know, you stick your head up next, you know, it's a, you're nailed. No way. Um, That's how you start. You start, start with that fear. You, know, you, yeah. you have that fear of getting shot. Uh, and I don't blame you being shot point blank like that hurts really bad. Yeah. But uh, it rarely happens in a game unless you know, someone like literally runs right into you and shoots you in the face or whatever. It doesn't really happen in an actual game. Okay. Um, but yeah, you start off, I remember the first time I played, you start off with a real sense of fear, um, but it goes away. You know, you, you get you get into it and once the adrenaline kicks in, you don't right. have fear. Just, you know, your mind is somewhere else. It's just in the game. So it's cool. Yeah. And you took your paintball kind of to a higher level. Is that right? I was pretty obsessed with it. You know, I wanted to go all the way. I wanted to be a pro in paintball. Um, And, you know, it wasn't really realistic because at the time I was young and it was really expensive to continue to practice every weekend. Um, I was starting to go practice like farther and farther. Like we were starting to travel into the States. Um, It was kind of like in order to get to the next level, you'd have to go practice in the state. So we were like driving to like Buffalo every other weekend. And it was just, it was too much. Um, and around that same time is when I started to get into lifting anyways. And I was like, Hey, cool. Like this is something that I'm good at something that isn't going to cost me as much money. Uh, I didn't know at the time that I was going to be obsessed with bodybuilding the way I am now. I had no idea. Obviously I was just getting into it, but you know, if I could, you know, go back and change anything, I wouldn't. Wow. So when you play your, your your love of paintball, is that for the love of winning the match and playing, or are you just like you want to shoot people? Uh, I like, I don't know, <laughs> I like the whole thing. I, you know, it's a it's a cool culture. Um, you know, it's a very it's a it's like another subculture, kind of like the fitness industry is. Um, right. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Um, you know, there's a lot of like team rivalries, mm-hmm. um, but like really good camaraderie as well at the same time. And uh, it's just a blast, like the whole atmosphere, you know, getting out there and getting that uh, that surge of adrenaline, so much fun. And uh, yeah, just, you know, you know, going out with friends and people that you know and playing on a team is fun too, so. As, uh, as long as it's not some outlet for some suppressed rage or anything like that, that's good, so. Yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, as long as you're taking it out like that, it's better than probably other alternatives. So. Yeah, that's right. Eh? You know, yeah. let's not, let's not open people or anything. All right. So let's talk about then your, your, your initial steps into the bodybuilding and fitness world. Like take, take me through that. How did you get into the gym that first time? Um, so yeah, like I said, I was about 150 pounds, maybe less actually when I first started training, I think I was like probably closer to 130. And, uh, the reason for that was I actually developed an eating disorder throughout that time, uh, oh. in high school. Uh, one of the reasons why I ended up moving in, in for grade 12 was that I ended up with uh, a bunch of bullies at school and they, they kind of gave me like shit throughout, you know, my grade 10 and grade 11 year in high school. And I just kind of got sick of it. You know, I was like, you know, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, mm-hmm. at the time, you know, with the 
mature mind, the way that my mind happened to go was that I thought that I was, you know, ugly or fat or something. Right. And uh, as a result, you know, I ended up basically getting into, uh, you know, a heavy sort of bulimia where I would, wow. you know, eat and then and then go and I would actually run for a couple hours every night to kind of get that, get those calories out, purge those yeah. calories. Yeah. Sometimes I would throw up if I wasn't able to go and run. Wow. Um, and that, that haunted me, you know, so I knew it wasn't healthy and I didn't, uh, I didn't want to tell anybody about it. I was, right. you know, very confident that I could get, you know, over that problem on my own. And luckily I was able to. Yeah. And, uh, one of the reasons that I was able to do that was because I began to educate myself in proper nutrition. And once right. I got into bodybuilding, I think that was the thing that gave me control over, over my eating habits. Right. And that was the reason why I was able to get kind of over that eating disorder. Okay. So you were able to, I mean, that's great that you were able to get through that on your own. That's something that a lot of people struggle with. And, and eating disorders both inside are out the outside of the bodybuilding world are also existing inside of the bodybuilding world. It just translates in a different way. Yep. Um, do you look at your structured and regimented nature now um, as still a mechanism for, you know, dealing with that? Do you feel that you could slide back into that if you stopped bodybuilding or, um, do you know, you think you've got a good control over your relationship with food now? I think, um, earlier in my, uh, in my bodybuilding career when I was 17, 18, that's when I noticed myself being able to slip back into it. The right. first time competing and going through a really strict diet. Um, when I, when I was, when I was able to actually eat again and I would go out for dinner, that's when I started to get those urges and it started to come back and haunt me. But the thing was, um, with bodybuilding, it was always something that I had control over. Right. You know, so I was able to, and you know, I'm sure people that, that aren't in the fitness industry, look at this as an unhealthy way to cope with things like that. But you know what, if you're in control, of your diet if you're in control of your exercise routine and it's not something that consumes your entire life like i haven't i have a life outside of bodybuilding right you know right. I, i'm okay if i go out and eat a cheat meal i'm not gonna feel right. guilty about that but i am really strict on contest prep and one of the reasons of why course. i don't give myself cheat meals on contest prep is because i don't ever want to put myself in a situation where i could uh feel guilty for having a cheat meal or just unnecessary negative emotions about food okay. um but at this point in my life i can say like pretty confidently that i would never slip back into that yeah. um and and for that reason you know i can say that i've, I've overcome it but awesome. you know it's still something that you're going to be conscious of for the rest of your life right so well i mean ultimately it's it's not something that defines you but it's something that re has re refined you um, and hopefully that's something that people in the community, if they struggle with the same thing, can kind of reach out to you as someone that has been through it and can help with it if anyone's got questions and whatnot, because it is a tough thing. But a lot of people do use uh, fitness and bodybuilding as a means of, of getting through some of these eating issues that they have because yep. of exactly the same reason that you say, you know, it's a regimented structured eating pattern and it has to be for success. So great. Good on you that you could do that. Um, yep. You know. So let's talk about your 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 cheat meals. I hear you can eat almost five Five Guys burgers in one sitting. Yeah, I don't do that very often, but uh, yeah, you know, like you know, a typical cheat meal is nothing like that extreme. Um, I don't I don't really go out of my way to to push my like stomach volume to a max like that. Right. Um, but that was just something that I did for fun. 
uh, to see if I could do it. Uh, it was harder than I thought it would be, honestly. Right. Um, but, you know, honestly, if I was going to have a, a typical cheat meal, I would, you know, love to have sushi, love to have a burger. Um, but I wouldn't overeat to the point where I was, like, uncomfortable. Uh, I would probably, like, stop a little bit before that. And that's probably still a fair amount of food for you. And But in the meantime, so there you go. You know, you say you don't, you don't worry about going to have a cheat meal and whatnot, and you don't. But it's still a controlled cheat meal. You're yeah. not going all out and, and whatnot. And I think that tends to be a problem with a lot of the folks today is that they go out and look at a cheat meal as, okay, I can go and eat whatever the hell I want for an hour or two hours. And, and you know, you can kind of set yourself back a little bit. But we're jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your competition history. Like you, you said sure. you competed eight months after you stepped foot in the gym. Yeah. Yeah, funny. you know, that, that was that was like, it was something that I wasn't expecting to do. But because uh, I had friends who were already into competing at the time, right. um, one of my buddies actually signed up for that UFE Spring Bass show yeah. in 2010 and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, I like challenges. I, you know, and to me, this is a new challenge. I had already been training for a little while and I was enjoying the way my physique was taking off. And I wanted to, uh, to pursue the next challenge. What can I do? How can I push myself even harder? I was already reading about um, like competition and stuff like that with the Arnold Encyclopedia book. So I kind of had an idea of what needed to be done and what was involved in competition, and I was interested. So I said, yes. I went through with it. Didn't. I won. He wasn't there. So, yeah. (laughs) So you said you stepped in the gym. You were probably 145, 150 pounds. Uh, What what did you do in that eight months? How were you on stage size-wise? Okay, so thinking back... You know, I started, I started training, I was probably about 135 pounds going through the bulimia issue. Right. Um, but once I started training, I stopped, you know, purging. I started really focusing on lifting weights. Uh, I didn't really do cardio and I put on weight fairly quickly at that point. Um, because when I think, you know, when you come from an eating disorder, being obsessed with food it's pretty easy to be obsessed with like being strict with your food. So the first stage for me getting over it was like basically just going right into that, that prep phase where it's meal one, meal two, meal three, meal four, meal five, meal six, calculated, weighed, everything is perfect, no cheat meals. And, you know, instantly I felt like a different person. And, you know, that, that sense of power that I had from finally going and saying, okay, I have control over my life again. You know, I have it on paper and I can follow it. And that made me feel good. So when it came down to competition time, I was like ready to go. Okay. And so you say you put on weight fairly, fairly quickly. You don't happen to remember yeah. what your stage weight was back then? Uh, I think it was about 170. Okay. That's some, still considerable. Like that. if you think yeah, but I'm, you... I'm pretty tall. I'm 5'11". So, you know, looking back at pictures... I'm just a skinny guy on stage, but sure, sure. I was, you, you know, I was lean, so. Well, that's still, I mean, if you were 140 pounds, you stepped foot in the gym, you stepped on the, on, on the stage 30-odd pounds heavier. So, yeah. I mean, I, looking at you myself, somatotype-wise, I would say you're, you're classic kind of endomezzo, so you probably gain weight fast, yeah. both muscular and maybe a little tendency towards uh, body fat storage and things like that. Yeah, I, I think it's a little weird with me because I lose weight really easily, I gain weight fairly easily um i might be a good like mixture of all three because 
And you can't I was skinny for a long time. I, you know, you would have said, you know, this this is just an ecto kid, you mm-hmm. know, really skinny, tall, lanky. Uh, but I put on muscle fairly easily. So there's a little bit of meso in there. Um, but when I'm in my off season, there's a little bit of that endomorphic look too. So probably a good combination of all three. Yeah, and I think uh, it's good to kind of recognize somatotypes and whatnot, but I don't hang my hat on any of it uh, as, as being a, a barrier to gains. So you uh, are, are classic proof that that gains can come from uh, ecto, meso, endo, the whole kind of spectrum. We've been everywhere. Absolutely. So you, you competed in your first show, UFE. Um, what did you? What was your reaction after that event to keeping like to persisting in competition? Like, how did you feel after the event was over? Uh, I was like through the roof at that point because I won my class as a junior, you know, back when, you know, we had junior bodybuilding, I felt great. I was like, cool, this is what I'm going to do forever now. You know, I found something that I was really passionate about, something that I was good at having that validation of winning the the class. And, uh, I believe I was on stage again within the next couple weeks, if not months doing my next show. Uh, I switched to uh, the OPA. Okay. I I did a little bit of research and, you know, I figured that if I continued to pursue this, I was willing to go all the way with it. Staying in the UFE wouldn't have got me to where I wanted to be, which was obviously an IFBB professional and to the Olympia. I made that decision when I was, when I was 17 that, you know, I'm going to go all the way with this and see what happens. So I went to the OPA, competed in the OPA, um, 2010 at the festival city championships in stratford and then i think another six months later i was on stage again doing uh provincial so i just i was hooked yeah wow you competed a lot in the early years so it's pretty amazing that you were able to make that decision back then to say okay i'm going to take it all the way but yet you still didn't sacrifice your university career and you went on through when you graduated from university, right? As a, a kinesiology degree? I, I, I did. But at the same time, I did sacrifice that a little bit. You know, I, I was really obsessed with bodybuilding and, and school and things like that. Did took a little bit of a, uh, put them on the back burner a little bit for a while there. Um, so I did, uh, I graduated later than I would have, but, you right. know, got it done and well, you, still, is. you still got that in your back pocket, you know, and, and if yeah. you really, it really supports what you're doing now anyway. Uh, to give you a good understanding of, of how you build your, your body the way you are and, and in your coaching uh, career as well. Yeah. So then let's talk about that. I mean, um, sure. how do you support yourself as a professional these days? Uh, well, now it's all coaching. Now it's it's full-time coaching. And, you know, I, I really I really have a passion now for, you know, helping guys come up the way I came up, especially mm-hmm. guys that are younger, you know, looking for the right guidance. Uh, I love that stuff, man. If I can be the one that, you know, helps someone get to where they want to go, like that's a great feeling. So, yeah. Excellent. And then, of course, uh, I know you don't have any supplement sponsors now, right? You're sponsored by Crystal. Crystal Creations. Uh, that's currently my only real sponsor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we got to work on that. We got to get Robin Strand uh, sponsored by a really good supportive organization that he'd like to work with. Uh, We're working on it. Wife- if you're good, I hope you got some things in the works. Uh, you know what? Because you are your brand, right? So you got to get out there and promote yourself. That's right. And, and now that you're a professional, uh, you know what? Uh, you're in demand. So, I mean, you've done some guest posings around and whatnot. So that's great. Um, let's talk about that day. Let's. So mm-hmm. 
what was your uh, do you remember your placing in the show that you competed in prior to the Toronto mm-hmm. Pro in 2018? The show that I competed in prior to the Toronto Pro in 2018? Yeah. Um, 2016, 2016 Nationals, I was 10th. 2017 Provincials, I was first. Okay. And then I did the Toronto Pro. Okay. So you came from the 2017 Provincials into the Toronto Pro in 2018. And then that, you... That's when they, uh, they changed from the OPA to the CPA. Right, right. And they, they changed how there was the regional, provincial, nationals. Right. Right. So, yeah. And so describe that to me. How did you feel about yourself going in and your, your ability to, to place when you went into the Toronto Pro in 2018? Like when you looked around and you saw, looked at yourself, where was your mind at? Well, I had already basically made up the decision that I was winning it that day. I'd already premeditated that and, I told people afterwards that I had already known, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean that it was any less of a shock, any less emotional, um, maybe even more emotional because it was kind of like, wow, I actually did do it when I said I was going to do it. That was kind of like when it hit me. Um, But I mean, that was definitely the highlight of my career so far. Um, I know I haven't done a whole lot since then competed, but not like anything to be super over the over the moon about um but it's coming and you know uh got some big things coming this year so we'll see well you i mean so of course by right of of passage when you turned pro in 2018 you were allowed to step on with the pros that same night and you did that how did that feel that was really cool that was probably uh what i would say the icing on the cake because there was really like no pressure at that point i was just like this is so cool i'm just up here having fun and uh to get the nod and get like a decent placing was just like you know it gave me that validation that I'll, i would be a good pro too and uh still keeping that in the back of my mind that you know i've continued to improve already as a pro and i'm on my way to the top in my own mind so do you remember your call outs for that for the, oh yeah for, for sure for pro, who did you stand with do you remember I don't remember everybody, but I know, let me think. I know Jeff Beckham was there. Yeah. I don't really remember much else because it was such a blur. I don't, I, I don't want to say the wrong people. That's um, but I remember being up there and not really being able to feel my body. I was kind of just like in a dream at that point. But it must have sounded good when they heard your name because you got pretty good call out. So it must have sounded good when they, when they called your name and you kind of went, holy crap, that's me. I didn't hear my name, actually. I was standing on the side. I was like in a daze, um, just a long day. I'd already been on stage like right, you know, yeah. twice, you know, on the Friday, on the Saturday, yeah. back again on yeah. the Saturday. I was just like, I was like, I'm dreaming. <laughs> so when they, they called my name, I didn't hear it. They called it again. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they actually just changed that this year, didn't they? They're going to do Toronto Pro is all going to be one day. They did, yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think, is a re- real good call. Uh for the, for the athlete's sake, you know, to try and manage that overnight is terrible. It's so then tough, you came, yeah. you you come out eighth place, top ten, yes. first yep. pro show. That's absolutely yep. fantastic. You had to be stoked about that. Validate you, like you said, as a pro. Absolutely. And then you took some time off and competed again in 2019. Yep. 
and competed at the New York. You picked the New York Pro, so that would be your kind of pro debut, really. Your your first independent pro show. You picked the New yeah. York Pro, you know, yeah. the the Night of Champions, one of yeah. the biggest shows. You you decide to step in, and super respectable finish in in top ten. Appreciate that. Yeah. And how did you feel about you know gonna walk onto that stage? How was that for you as an experience? I was nervous. I was really nervous. Uh, for some reason, I think that. Um, I had hyped it up so much in my own mind. I wasn't quite confident yet as a pro. Um, I knew I wasn't big enough yet. A lot of things were going through my mind, you know, night of champions, you know, this is either going to make me or break me sort of a thing. So, um, it was kind of like bittersweet. I wanted to place top six, you know, I did the same thing with the Toronto pro when I won my pro card was that I was just telling myself that I was in the top six. And I would do that like repeatedly. So I was working myself up for that and not doing that disappointed me. And, but looking back at it, I was still happy with the 10th. I mean, Oh, I mean, in a show, there were good, there were good guys there, man. And, you know, it was my, my first time on that big stage, you know, actually doing a full prep for it. I made mistakes. It's all good. And and, and so you, you prepped yourself for that show. You, you, you prep yourself in general, right? Uh, I do, but for the New York Pro, I work with Justin Compton. Oh, okay, okay, Justin, he's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then you, I mean, if you look at your 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 progress, you you really improved in every show that you competed in. You did eighth in your in your pro debut after the, the pro turn. Tenth in in New York is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. But then you go back to the Toronto Pro after, and you improve by a place. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. You're kind of on the upward trajectory. What's what's on the horizon? What are, where are we, when are we going to see Big Robin Strand step on stage again? I'll be uh, going on stage at three shows this year. Okay. I'll start off with the uh, the Rock Show, the okay, uh, yeah. Atlanta, Georgia, October yep. 10th. Then I'll be doing the Hungry Pro October 18th. Okay. And then I'll do the uh, California Pro as well. And so there's some decently uh, together shows, aren't they? Yeah, those will those will all be within the same month. Yeah, that's so. What kind of stress does that put on your body to do three shows in one month? I don't know. I've never done it before. <laughs> I'm sure there's some people that can uh, tip you on that. I know Reagan has done a few back to backs, but I mean, essentially, you're looking to peak three times in one um, month. I mean, the thing about peaking is I don't know if you could really call it peaking okay. if you're doing it three times. I think one show will be a peak. And right. the other shows will be as close as I can get. I think yeah. realistically, it, it's possible to peak perfectly once a year. But to do that repetitively, I think yeah. you kind of have to uh, take it with a grain of salt. Is That peak is not going to be perfect, but you can use one or two of the shows to fine-tune it. And right. uh, when it comes down to using like diuretics and stuff, that's when you want to play it safe on at least two out of three of those shows. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing all that. I think uh, you're going to vlog your whole way through it. Definitely. Absolutely. So let's yeah. touch on that a little bit. I've really been enjoying your My 300 Pound Life uh, vlogs. Nice. Uh, Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, that. Watch them all, man. And I'm like, every day I get to fasted cardio or hit after whatever after training. I'm like, there better be something for me to watch. And at least once a week I can, or so I can count down Robin having a video up. <laughs> And you got the, it. Way, the way you do it, man, I think is, is really good because it's it's really raw and it's really yeah. real. Um, you know, it's you and and, and and your wife doing it and, and you're living the life. And I did notice, though, that you're probably a little bit too big for your house. 
Um, yeah. I'm watching you in your, in your kitchen trying to mix up your, your pre-workouts and whatnot. I'm like, Robin's going to tear that place apart. But it really gives us an inside look on, you know, an, an up-and-coming pro and what, what it takes to do it. Um, you know, everything from your, your pre-workout mixtures that you make, which really show a couple of things. Number one, you really put out to, for us the importance of the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And you talk about every single thing that you put in it. And number two, it's really economical to do it the way you're doing it. Because you're going to go buy a little tub of protein, not protein, pre-workout, and it's going to cost you $59.99. Yeah. If you buy the components the way you do it, you get the same effect for better value for money. So, you know, you're really providing value in those, and I encourage you to, to just keep them up and keep going. And then the showing about your ECG and your, your CPAP machine. Let's talk about your, your ECG a little bit. You had your you, sure. said you had your, your heart uh, all tested out. Was that a concern or just something you did sort of um, precautionarily? Well, this is the first time that I've ever been this heavy. Um, mm. And in my mind, it would be, you know, it would be stupid not to go and get my heart checked being 300 pounds and having a potential increase in heart mass. Um, right. Anything else could go wrong. But I think that, you know, for me to to go and do that is just me taking care of my own body um, to be aware if there's anything wrong. Um, and just to, uh, to be accountable for my own health, right? Like we all know that bodybuilding places a certain amount of, of stress on the body and there's a risk with being, you know, a heavy, heavy body weight and all the things that go into bodybuilding. Um, you know, it was, it was a cool experience just to go ahead and do that. Um, I'm very fortunate to have a good outcome from it as well. And it's definitely something that I'll continue to do on a yearly basis. Yeah, and it's actually Dave uh, Palumbo in his one of his podcasts talks about you guys, uh, you bigger guys should be doing it every year, uh, yep. just to see. Because you know what, the, the reality is that uh, pro bodybuilders do certain things to get to the size that they are, and it's got some effects. You know, there's a risk to reward ratio there, and you kind of got to look and manage the risks appropriately. Um, right. You know, the sad news: uh, bodybuilders are passing away left and right these days. I mean, uh, we don't know what the effect was or the cause was, but Scott Millen passed away the other day. Uh, right. big London icon bodybuilder and you can go back every week for the last probably what three or four weeks and find another name of yeah. bodybuilders so you gotta that's good on you man for being out there up front with it and looking after yourself even the CPAP machine like so many people probably need one of those but don't even realize yeah. it and they just figure I don't get good sleep and I wake up feeling crappy every day that must have been uh, life altering for you to get that yeah I mean like the thing is, like, I think a lot of people don't like the idea of a CPAP. Mm-hmm. It's something that you have to use basically for the rest of your life. Right. Or at least if you're going to be heavy, as long as you're heavy, you're going to have to use it. Right. Um, for me, it was definitely, like, life-altering because, you know, I was going through university, pushing bodybuilding, falling asleep all the time. I'd fall asleep on the bus. I'd fall asleep in, in school, you know, fall asleep doing homework. I'd basically fall asleep throughout the day all day long and had no idea why and it was only in in 2017 that i actually had that sleep test done and find out the reason so you know people might just be chronically exhausted thinking it's oh i'm just stressed from work oh i'm just tired from the gym like seriously like you got to get that stuff checked out because you could be living a life that sucks compared to the life you could be living just because you you know use a cpap machine at night which is something you have to get used to but I can imagine, yeah. Because I mean, honestly, you do it up, man. yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to live without it at this point. That's the thing. So, 
I think that uh, once you get used to it, it's just like now it's part of your life, like anything else, right? Yeah, for sure. You got, you know, I wouldn't want to see you having to run out of that building real quick in the middle of the night with your CPAP on and your eye mask on, your headphones in and your 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 snore strap on and tear the place apart. But, you know, so many people are, are getting feeling crappy and then they're doing the thing to take a nap to try and feel better but they're doing the thing that's causing them to feel worse. So it, it never improves. Yeah. You don't remember how many, um, what do they call sort of sleep interruptions you had during the test? I think it was Did about it? 30. I think it was around 30. So it was 30 yeah. in an hour, right? 30 yeah. non-breathing, yeah. 30 non-breathing events. Yeah. Like, well, I, I know, I knew it was bad because they called me the next day when they told me originally that they would get the results to me within a couple of weeks. So they called me up. They're like, okay, we want you to come in. And uh, we're going to give you this, uh, you know, this CPAP. And I was like, sure, I'll be right there. Right? Do you have the self-adjusting kind or do you have to adjust it or have it adjusted? Um, mine's basically just a full face mask. Okay. You don't really have to do a whole lot of adjusting. You just, you can adjust the straps to the tightness level that you desire. And then the actual machine yeah, uh, has an adjustment of how much pressure you can actually right. put through. And um, I think that's a useful thing to 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 note as well as if you do have a CPAP, if you're using a CPAP, you have to find the right level of pressure that actually mm -hmm. gives you the best quality sleep. And do they do that for you or do you have to figure that out on your own? I had to figure that out on my own, but I was using uh, I was using an aura ring for a while. Right. I don't know yeah. if, you, if you've heard yeah. of the aura rings, but um, basically that would measure your sleep um, right. more objectively. So you could get mm -hmm. your subjective experience like, okay, I feel better today with this level. Uh, and you could go check your your data from the aura ring and you could say okay this is how much deep sleep i had and um, basically it's just a little bit of trial and error until you can find the best setting for you right um, i'm sure if you like went to your doctor they could help you too but at the end of the day who's going to know how how good you slept more than you yeah no you're absolutely right and a funny question could you measure the difference in how your gains came after you got it um like continue to recover better, things like that? What I can say is that before I got a CPAP machine, I was never above 260 pounds. And now you're 300, 300 even-ish? About 304 in the morning, maybe 310 in the evening. Okay. But um, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that if I tried to get to this weight where I was before, yeah. um, not using a CPAP or not even knowing about any of these things, I would probably be at a really bad risk for uh, for health. health oh, absolutely, wise. absolutely. So you know what? Uh, you need your CPAP. Get your CPAP. Get gains and uh, stay healthy, um, yep. because it, it starts to become a cardiopulmonary risk if you're always stopping breathing in the middle of the night. You know, I mean, Sam exactly. has been uh, kind of jerking you in the elbow to get you to breathe and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Actually, uh, where is your where is your lovely wife tonight? Is she right there beside you? She's here. She's gonna come say hello. Oh man. <laughs> There are stickers. Hello. Hey, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Sorry, we're stealing your husband for an hour. All good. You can have him. What's it like? What's it like to sleep in the bed with a three hundred pound man? Well, when we had a queen bed, it was you know me having a sliver of the bed. A queen, a queen. Bed. We had a queen, and it was way too small. It was like it was a double or something. I, I believe. And it. then we finally, when we moved here. Um, we decided to get one of those mattresses that like roll out of the box. Oh, the right? Andy? Yeah, it was, uh, or it was like a Zenith or something. Zenith, yeah. Yeah. Okay. From, like Amazon. 
so we we got it and then uh obviously we got like a king and it's like the best the best thing we ever bought because there's that bed has to be bigger than a king because there's so much space you actually get a little piece of the bed um i have never slept better in my life because god help you <laughs> if he rolled over on you in the middle of the night with that cpap roaring and hey, he, he can't hear you sleep- and we sleep with three little chihuahuas in the bed too, and they they never get crushed. So I don't. What's think it with we... what's it with really big men and really little dogs? Because you look bigger. Maybe that's what it is. It's that's perceived, what it is. Perceived size. <laughs> uh, and uh, the funny the funny thing about the CPAP too is that at least what from Sam says it's like you know it's quiet enough, but it's got a little bit of that white noise that I don't right. know. Yeah, like, oh yeah, I sleep. It's not loud. So if guys okay. are like, oh, I don't want to get it because. Oh, maybe it's not, you know, attractive or she yeah. won't want to sleep in the bed with like I don't even notice it. I'd rather I I'd rather that than the than the snoring. You're like sleeping with the Terminator, right? Yeah. <laughs> Full face. Yeah. Every, I'm sleeping too, so it doesn't it it beats the snoring any day. So. You get used to it, right? Yeah. So uh, while I got you here now, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. I hadn't planned on this, but a couple popped to mind and it's all about you, Robin. Don't worry. We're coming back to it. <laughs> so what's it like living with Robin when he's on prep? Well, usually I'm on, I'm on prep too. So holy crap, what's it like living with both of you? We work better when we prep together. Yeah, we do better when we're both on prep. Way better. Yeah. You're not the you're not the salty preppers. No, like we just it'll just be more quiet. <laughs> like we'll do our own things, but it's like okay, we go do our fasted together. Right. We eat our fierce meal. We go train. Um, we were training together. Now he has another training partner that he trains with. Um. I think you just, just rolled her eyes. Just she what? just rolled her eyes at you. She doesn't like me training with someone else. Oh, no, I didn't say it. No, I don't mind. <laughs> I was trying to get you in trouble. Fight, puppy, fight. Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. So you do everything together, and, and so do you look at his meal, and you look at your meal, and go, I wish I had more food, that kind of thing. Uh, she definitely yes. does. Yes. Yeah, she definitely does. <laughs> Women, unfortunately... Diet on lower calories. That's I know. I, I feel for the girls I see training in them. They're like, they're four ounces of chicken and they're 125 grams of rice. I'm like, I would yeah. die. That's it. Like, yeah. and even as, you know, I do physique, like to get to that level that you have to get to because you're yeah. like see on stage, right? With those lights Absolutely. on you. Yeah. Like yeah. people think, oh, you probably diet like, like super high calories. I'm like, no, I wish. Like I yeah. still have to push it like super low. Like, you know so and and robin do you coach her or do you have your own coach we kind of help I, each other yeah, i wouldn't i, I do wouldn't my own diet yeah always okay um and he'll just kind of usually look at me when i get to like four weeks out because then that's when you start going crazy yeah sure. yeah you lose so, your activity um, and i'll talk to him and be like okay do you think i should increase cardio um and then he'll say yeah or no and then if you're ticked off, you give her a low carb day. Yeah. <laughs> no high carb. <laughs> you're high. No, don't do that because you know. Happy wife, happy life, right? So. Oh, do I know it? Absolutely. Fifteen years of marriage, and and if you learn that early, you're going to live a long time. That's go. good. I think that's what that's what makes it possible to uh, to essentially coach ourselves is because we have each other as like that objective eye, um, and that it does actually get harder when you're both on prep, but because we're looking at each other and not at ourselves, it's it's a little bit easier to say like, this is what you should do rather than, you know, when you're looking at yourself, there's just no way, like you're just- We just say like, okay, shut off 
the husband wife mode yeah. and go like full coach mode, like complete honesty. And then yeah. it always works. Cause yeah. then, then, you know, like, so say we're doing update uh, pictures or whatever that we just do for ourselves. Right. Um, we'll have like an objective moment to look at those be full yeah. coach mode and then, you know, go back to whatever lovey doveyness or yeah. whatever. Right. So it's the honesty that works, right? We're not scared to like hurt each other's feelings if we have to. Yeah. So, and you know, it's, it's good that you're both in the same business of bodybuilding in that, um, because, well, you know, my wife, God bless her is, is very, very supportive and she'll mm-hmm. always tell me I look fantastic. And <laughs> Sometimes that's just not true, or or maybe you know, because how do you how do you perceive yourselves? Like Robin, for instance, you are by far must be the largest man in your gym, but do you yeah. look at yourself and struggle with what your eye sees, and then have Sam kind of be more objective towards the reality? Yeah, for All sure, for sure. I mean, he thinks he's small. When, when I'm 300 pounds, I think I'm small. When I'm, you know, two weeks out from a contest, I think I'm fat. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, though those are things that I think that when you're like you know really into bodybuilding like that it's it's very hard to look at yourself and say i look great because you're always looking at what you want to improve you have to look at flaws in order to be you know realistic with yourself about what you need to you know work on and what you need to do make that plan to improve those things and right you know without someone like sam to you know kind of bring me down to earth when it's like you know, I'm looking at myself being way too negative or, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm small when I'm 300 pounds and stuff like that. It's like, that seriously is like one of like the best things you can actually have, like to have that person there for you. And that's what a coach does for a lot of people. That's what we do with our clients, right? Because, you know, maybe they don't have that partner to, to give them that objective eye. Maybe they're not experienced enough to do it themselves yet. So, right. you know, that's, that's what we do. And it's just very fortunate that we can help each other in the same way. So let's talk about that again, uh, coaching. So you guys coach as a team? Right, and we do, yeah. Do you, how do you work that? Do you both focus on an athlete or do you split up, you know, sort of the guys and the girls or the categories or how do you, how do you work that? Strand strong, it, uh, there you go. <laughs> I think it depends on the athlete um, because some athletes we, we do together. Yeah. Um, yeah. We always – talk to each other about athletes if we're not sure about something um, and, you know, just to get a second opinion sometimes. Um, But for the most part, Sam's athletes are her athletes and my athletes are my athletes. And they basically just decide, you know, you know, the ones that work with me, they decide I want to work with Robin and the ones that work with her decide I want to work with Sam. So it's like, you know, they get us both if they need it. But, you know, we have our respective clients that, you know, we, we deal with. And do you focus on sort of medium to long-term client relationships or do you take the one-time deals or what's your, what's your focus? Um, Mostly long-term, but he have a, he has a couple guys that just do like um, the odd training plan once sure. in a while. Yeah. Right. So it's basically whatever that person needs. Um, if we can offer it to them, we will at, you know, the best quality, the, you know, as much as we can give them, we'll give them and because we want to see them do their best. Like, there's nothing better than seeing your client do so well on stage and be so happy. Like, that feeling is, is like, yeah, there's one thing about you doing well on stage, but when you see, like, someone that you helped them get there, it's like, right. 
so rewarding. Yeah, definitely makes the the job like worthwhile for sure. Have you ever coached someone who is in the same show or competing on the same day as you guys? I have. Yeah, I have. And we have before too. Last year we had um, we had some clients that did the Toronto as well. Okay. We were we had a bunch of people doing the Toronto, so that was cool. And the only thing that sucks about that is like when you're competing on the same day, it's very hard to focus on someone else. Yeah, for um, sure. But, you yeah. know, like that's something that we discuss with our clients ahead of time yeah. that they're aware of. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be focusing on us and we're also going to try to help as much as we can. But just be aware that this isn't a day that we can give you 100% focus because if it's a day that they're competing and we're not, we're always there. We're always 100% focused on them. Um, mm. But that's definitely a challenge that if you're competing on the same day as someone else, it makes it really hard. That's why we yeah, we're always up front, like, hey, these are the days I'm competing. So if you're going to choose a show, either the same show or, like, when Robin was in New York, we had a couple clients doing the Fuad. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was the exact same day. Yeah. So what had happened is, you know, he was just focused. So I actually helped peak one of his clients. Okay. So that's where they get the both of us. Because um, obviously our every client is different, but... Obviously, coaches have, you know, a method either mm-hmm. to peak or to shred them down or whatever, right? So I kind of knew what he was planning with this guy. So, okay. yeah. yeah. So we, well, that's we the just... benefit of having both of you guys looking at people uh, at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, Robin, let's, let's, uh, people want to get coaching. Uh, how do they contact you? Well, they can go check out our website. It's www.teamstrandstrong.com. Okay. That will give them as much information as they could possibly need. They can also find me on Instagram, Grand Strong. They can find her on Instagram, Slays Fit. Um, they can also send us an email, teamstrandstrong at gmail.com. Well, your video is, I can still hear you, but your video chopped out a little bit. But we'll put all your links down in the description of the video uh, so that people can see it as well. And so when people want to be, a, 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 be coached by you and part of Team Strand Strong, do you require, do you collect extensive information about individuals or do you sign up and then go or, or like what I'm trying to get at is do you assess a client before you're willing to work with them? Yeah. So a few things I'll do, like we have a mandatory questionnaire for all new clients to, to fill out. Uh, it covers like a basic part queue. So we get as much health information about them as possible. Um, we give them questions like, you know, have they competed before? Have they had a coach before? What do they want from a coach? Um, okay. What kind of nutrition plan have they followed? What kind of training plan have they followed? And things like that. So the more information we can get from someone right off the bat, the better we can kind of figure out how we need to deal with them. And mm-hmm. I also like to, you know, have a conversation with them and just talk to them like one-on-one um, get, and get a feel for like what their mindset is, what kind of person they are. And uh, most of the time, I, I really want to figure out, is this person serious? Like, you know, are you going to be able to give me 100% commitment? And if so, you know, right. let's work together. What do you need from me? So and, describe, uh, yeah. describe your ideal client. Um, what makes a good client? <laughs> um, let's see. Good client. Good client is someone who goes above and beyond you know it's the type of person that they're always checking in you know 5 a.m on friday something like that you know always consistent with their check-ins um you know i've had some clients that that pretty much set the standard for me like 
um, one of my clients who um, I'm very fortunate to be working with is so detailed, so meticulous with everything that one time I asked him uh, to give me a rundown of what his day looked like. And he basically told me what he was doing every minute of the day, calculated to a T. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, if every client could be like that, it would just be like, you know, but, you know, so everybody's different. When, 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 you, when you ask people how they're feeling, you don't want them to just say good? I, I know. I don't want to say there's ever such thing as a perfect client. Um, no. But there are some that definitely have blown me away with, you know, how like meticulous they are with, you know, scheduling their life, you know, weighing everything, doing like, you know, drills that I teach people about just like insane, man. Insane. Okay. Those are the people that they go all the way for sure. So people essentially you want someone that's coachable and someone yep. that, so the, the important message here is attention to detail when, when interacting with your coach, um, because otherwise you can't provide the standard of care that is really required. Um, so then yeah. uh, what's your part? What's your part then? What's your commitment to your client? Like if I could say one thing that would make a good client, it just I just want the person to listen to what I have to say and trust me in the mm -hmm. fact that I'm giving them as much information as I possibly can to make them the best. Because the worst possible scenario is that I'm giving someone the information they need to get better, but they think that I'm holding out on them. Right. And, and I mean, that's it's really frustrating. It, it, it can be tough. tough. It, yeah. It's tough for them because they're going to say, well, you know, I'm going to take my physique and I'm going to put it in your hands. And they don't really know you. And it's yeah. through the coaching relationship that they, they know you. And then they start to learn, okay, well, Robin does care about my success. And then it yep. starts to become, become easier. So, you know, some clients maybe start out perfect and some clients get perfect and, and some will never be perfect. And maybe you can't work with, with certain people because of that. And that's, and that's fine. I know I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't expect people to be perfect. The only thing that I would expect is just be honest with me at all times. That's really the only rule that I have. Right. Um, the only time that I have ever really had to fire a client is just if they weren't honest with me and I found out about it. Um, right. It's like a one, two, three strike kind of thing. But, right. you know, for the clients that give me 100%, I give them 100% and even more. Because when I see people going above and beyond, when I see people, like, really, like, just happy to have that guidance, it makes me motivated. It makes me happy to work with them, right? So it makes yeah. me go above and beyond in my own way by going out, educating myself about whatever I can help them with. You know, right. um, I really love to to research things. So if there's a complex problem that I have to deal with with a client, I'm going to do my very best to go and figure out a solution. Right. And if I can't do it, then, you know, it's above, you know, it's, it's going to have to go into, you know, some sort of medical supervision or something like that. But, For sure. you know. So I was talking about medical supervision. Do you require blood work and things like that? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I would never, I would never allow someone to use PEDs without getting a blood test first. I think that's irresponsible. Oh, absolutely. So, and it's, I think it's a problem with a lot of people today. And I, and I watch um, as people roll out, finish their show prep, and then you'll see them post that they're getting blood work four or five months later, and they're 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 yeah. hoping they're hoping that things are going to resolve themselves before they get it done. 
because of course you're going to have some standard problems when you when you get off stage, you know. So if, if you've got a coach that doesn't require blood work and doesn't want to see your blood work, probably time to find someone else that 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 does. So let's I talk agree. about your own your own personal preps a little bit. Um, sure. You know, because I like to ask people funny stories, and and I don't want you to talk about clients because they'll probably figure out who they are. Has have anything crazy gone on in any of your preps? Anything weird? Have you worked with? any coaches that have told you to do bizarre things or have you had to go to any extreme measures to make anything happen anything that jumps out over your show you've been perhaps you've done um well there's definitely a few times that have bumped out um i won't name names but in uh, oh, in 2017 gosh. i had a really weird uh, peak week we did um we did a salt loading Oh, wow. so I was doing, I was doing like, uh, like 10 grams of sodium for like three or four days. Wow. And I gained, I gained like 10 to 15 pounds. It was really crazy. And then, um, we ended up doing, uh, a Lasix and potassium chloride to lose the water. Right. And I think that was way too drastic. It was unnecessary, but, um, oddly enough, I ended up looking good and winning. So. I mean, wow. it's not something I would ever recommend or replicate, mm. but it's definitely an interesting story and uh, just happy it kind of worked out because it was really random how it Yeah, you got to be together. careful with, with Lasix. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a big, I don't know, I have a ton of knowledge about diuretics, but Lasix is one of the strongest of the strong out there. And it's non-potassium sparing, isn't it? Uh, non-potassium sparing. So that's the reason for uh, using the potassium Potass chloride, but chloride. potassium chloride is also pretty dangerous to use as well. Wow. Well, I mean, good on you to be willing to talk about that sort of thing. I don't really push people into talking about, you know, the enhancement side of things and whatnot, because it's not really that important to everybody out there. No one's going to do what Robin Strand does. Um, so it really doesn't, it doesn't matter that much, but you know, people are knowing, people know what goes on and at least you're kind of open and honest about how things go. Um, as a matter of fact, um, do you, when young kids come out today, and I really, I, I see a lot of young people starting the gym and starting the drugs the next day, um, do you have a line that you deal with clients who are kind of wanting to go down that enhanced route really early? Um, yeah, I think it's it's more common to uh, to get started with the enhancement earlier now than yeah. it used to be. Sure. Um, I, I just think it's because there's more information out there in general. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's easy to access. It's it's easily accessible information and it's easily accessible uh, drugs essentially. Sure, so sure. it's it's easy to get started if you want to. And right. uh, my recommendation is always to at least compete once first right. naturally to see if you like it, to see if you can get yourself in shape, and then to actually have that time to see if this is something that you want to pursue and go all the way with. Because if you don't want to go all the way with it, I would just advise not using PEDs at all. Okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, a lot of the tendencies for, you know, the, the guys want to have the largest arms in the bar or whatever. And, you know, unless it's going to be a career path for you, there's not a whole ton of a point in doing it. You know, some people have their goals and they want to do certain things and that's fine. And maybe to compete once or whatever, but then, you know what, go on your way and do your thing after that. Don't, uh, don't keep doing things that you shouldn't be doing. But anyway, no, I, judge, I mean, right? like if, if there's someone who is already using them, um, mm -hmm. that's, that's totally up to them. It's their decision. You know, I would never say anything bad about that. If that's what yeah. you chose to do, totally cool with me. 
Um, it's it's only when I'm asked about it. If there's someone who is considering it and they're a young person, right. that's when I would give them my advice not to yet. Um, right. But if it's someone that's already doing it, hey, I'm going to help you the best I can, do it the healthiest way possible, and, um, you know, go from there, right? So. So you're pretty well surrounded in bodybuilding your entire life in, in you know, day to day from your own personal career, uh, your wife's career, uh, your coaching is, is involved in it. How do you, how do you, I don't want to say you're always a bodybuilder, but how do you, how do you manage that work-life balance with friends and things like that? Uh, when do we get to see sort of Robin, not, I'm going to say not the bodybuilder. Um, how do you manage that? Uh, um, good question. I don't know. I don't, I've never really thought about how we managed it, but yeah, like, you know, we, um, we, we have our little home life, you know, we have our dogs and, you know, we have family that we like to visit. Um, we go paintballing on Sundays. We go out for okay. dates. We like to do escape rooms. Um, you know, things like that, you know, it takes the mind off bodybuilding as far as like the work, you know, the work balance with the training and, and that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's hard for us to even consider it work when it's something that you love. So, sure. you know, I don't really ever feel like I'm burnt out from bodybuilding. Um, you know, like we love going to shows. Um, we love going to the gym. We love, you know, coaching people. So, um, that kind of stuff is just like, we could do it all day long. No problem. The right. only thing that I think that I struggle with sometimes is like, uh, sitting on a screen, sitting down and, and being on a computer for so long, um, it can kind of get to you. It makes you tired. Um, yeah, sure. and, and that's just something to be aware of. Like, uh, we've started to incorporate using, um, blue blocking, uh, glasses. Obviously I'm not wearing them now, but you wouldn't even be able to tell that I was, that if I was wearing them, they're just like regular glasses, but they do help a lot when you're on screens, taking breaks periodically. Um, just remembering to do like little simple things like drinking water and, you know, Getting off, doing something else for a while. Well, it's important to, to kind of maintain that. It's funny you talk about that, the, the blue light glasses. I got mine done recently, my prescription glasses. And what a difference it makes, even in sleep. Yeah. Like, it, it seems to, like, I try not to use my phone before bed, which is really hard to do. But it absolutely, like, what they say is true. The blue light messes up your sleep patterns. So good on you yeah. to look after all aspects about that. So you do live life outside of bodybuilding. You do enjoy paintballing. You do, and I saw in one of your videos you did the escape room. Yeah. Uh, man, those things frustrate the crap out of me. Do you use yeah. hints? How many hints do you use? Uh, that that one that you saw in in the uh, video is we used one hint and we got through it, which was great. Um, we did one more recently that we got like really frustrated because we were so close, right. we got stuck. And then we had to get them to to kind of get us out to the final puzzle. And it was like, oh, we were so close. But it's fun. You know, it's like you get that that sense of adrenaline. The time's ticking down. Yeah, you're right. trying to use your brain. Um, well, that's good. Always good to use your brain. For um, sure. So let's talk about you're, you're part of the social media world out there. Social media can be kind of, and I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. We've had you for an hour already. Um, no worries. Um, how do you find that social media has affected the, the fitness and bodybuilding industry in Ontario and in um, general, the world, the world? Well, I think it's, it's really cool to be able to connect with people easily through social media. You know, it's, it's cool to, to network and, and stay you know, up to date with what everyone else is doing. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's pros, there's cons. Um, pro number one is it's very easy to, 
promote your own business without having to pay anything now. Um, con is that you're competing with a lot more people who are doing the exact same thing. Um, right. But but hey, I mean, you know what? Social media has really improved the sport by bringing more people to the sport. And I think for that, um, we should definitely be like, you know, pretty positive about its benefits and right. just be aware that there are negatives. It can be addicting. It can sure. give people um, kind of like that, that, you know, self-conscious looking through, you know, the lens of, you know, someone else's perfect life versus your realistic life. Um, but okay. as long as you're aware of those things, I think that it's a great tool to use to promote yourself, stay in touch with other people. And, uh, you know, if you got a good pump, sometimes you just got to post a selfie and let everyone know that it was a good day. That's right. You know, a <laughs> selfie or else it didn't happen. And, and it's right. funny, you know, because I, I fall prey to it all the time. You can look at someone's photo one day who is in better shape than you and think that's as motivating as anything to get you going, to keep going. The very next day, that same photo can demotivate you. Because yep. you're not there, right? Yep. But, I mean, well, public service announcement, for those that don't know, Instagram is a highlight reel. Um, nobody has a perfect life, so hey, yeah. um, get out there and post your stuff. And you're absolutely right, the advertising. I mean, even look at this little venue that we're doing right here now. Um, you come on the podcast, and people from Ontario and all around are going to watch it, and hopefully we'll get thousands of views, and you know we're growing. But it, it costs nothing, and it puts you out there. It gives me content. So, you know, it's a great mutual relationship that social media has, has brought about. Um, the negatives are there. You know what? You know, people want to buy your underwear, I'm sure, um, and all kinds of weird stuff like that. But you take the good with the bad and you roll with it, right? You got it. It is what it is. Um, it has increased the breadth of bodybuilding across the world. Specifically, let's talk about Ontario. Um, yeah. And I don't want to say that it would bring bodybuilding mainstream, but it's brought it closer to mainstream. Do you feel that that kind of ruins the subculture nature of it? No, I don't think so. I think um, if anything, it just makes it better. And so, so okay. So you observe the Ontario talent pool. How do you feel looking at what you see? Um, honestly, I haven't been paying too much attention. I, like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about stuff that I don't know. So, mm. as far as like. What, what I do on social media is I try to keep up with posting my own stuff. Right. Um, I try to stay engaged with, uh, like, my own clients and stuff. Uh, I try to answer messages. But at the same time, like, I, I also try to stay away from looking at competition. And, sure. um, and I find that that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that I can give to anyone else who's competing is to not look at your competition. It's just it doesn't do you any good, and it'll only make you – obsessed about how other people look it doesn't bring you anything positive just don't do it yeah i know you're absolutely right you know and i found myself doing that like i'll follow this grimes classic hashtag and i'll look at people that are competing and i'm like damn and it can it can really kind of ruin you You know it started to question whether you should do it or not so then with regards to pros do you any pros you follow um i do i, I follow them all but again i try not to like look at what they're doing because i'm focused on myself right now so it's not like I don't like them or, you know, oh, I'm not no. friends with them or anything like that. It's just um, I find that I'm the type of person who compares himself a lot to other people. And when I do that, I put myself down. So, um, mm. like, guys like Antoine, Regan, Quinton, Ian, those guys are all amazing bodybuilders. And I'm, you know, looking forward to standing on stage with them again. So, then where does your, like, a lot of people use social media and whatnot for motivation. 
Uh, where yeah. does your motivation come from? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, the motivation really is just to see how far I can get with it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've tried using, you know, pictures and stuff for motivation, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm in a different stage now that when mm-hmm. I first started competing, when I first got into it, I had pictures of Frank McGrath on my wall. You know, I had pictures of Eric Fankhauser on my wall. Mm-hmm. I had to watch what those guys were doing so closely because I wasn't yet doing those things. So I wanted to emulate them as closely as I could. Right. But now that I've been doing this for so long, I feel like I pretty much know what to do and confusing myself or comparing myself against what other people are doing just is like a detriment to my own kind of like mojo, right? Once I'm in the zone, I'm moving forward. It's kind of like I got the blinders on. So motivation really just comes from like, okay, what did I do last week? What can I do this week to be better than that? How did I look last time on stage? You know, what can I do to be better than that this time? And it's just, it keeps going from there. So you, on the days when, you know what, Robin looks inside his head and says, the last thing I want to do is get off this couch and go to the gym. Your vision of your future goal or where you want to be, that's what pulled you off the couch and gets you in the gym? Most of the time, yeah. My wife that's reminds good. me if you know if, if I'm slacking, she's right there. She's telling me like those guys aren't slacking. Um, that's always a kick in the pants. Um, recently, I think one of the mo- one one of the most like one of the things that stands out the most to me is uh, when I was watching one of Fuad Abiyad's videos. Mm-hmm. I forget what video it was, but he just said that it doesn't matter really how you feel. You just have to get the shit done yeah, and. Sure. Uh, on those days that I wake up, I'm like, you know, this this sucks. I feel like crap, this and that. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to eat this food. It's just like, if I don't do it, I'm going to suck on stage. So I'm going to do it anyways. And, That's uh, a big motivator, yeah. You know, like, really, like, when, when you're winning shows, you're on top of the world. You know, nothing can stop you. You've done everything right. There's nothing you could have done to be better because you were first place. But when you right. get 10th, you get 7th, you get 8th, you're like, man. I've been doing everything I could and I didn't, you know, get the result I wanted. So you got to go back and be like realistic about were you doing as much as you could have? Were you pushing yourself hard enough? Of course you weren't because if you were, you would have won. And it's just like, you know, continually going back and being, you know, honest with yourself. You know, if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't be the best. Right, absolutely. So, okay, talking about what you could have done. When you turned the, your off season before you turned pro in 2018 and your competition season in 2019, where did your off season weight get to? In 2018 off season, I was about uh, 280. So, where did that decision come to say, you know what, I need to I need to push myself to be over 300 pounds? It wasn't necessarily a weight goal that I had. No, that's a lie. I, I've always wanted to be 300. It was just it's just a number that I wanted to be, but that wasn't that wasn't the primary uh, the goal, the primary reason of my motivation for for this off season. Okay. It was the fact that um, I had reached out to the judges after the Toronto and the New York Pro, and the right. only thing they said to me was, "You have to come back bigger." And I was like, "I have to come back bigger." So that was the only thing I worried about at that point was like, if I'm if I'm going back on stage, I'm going to be a lot bigger. So what, what does it take on a daily basis to be 300 pounds plus food-wise? Um, for me, it's just it's waking up, putting some food down, putting more food down a couple hours later, 
hitting a gym and then continuously putting food down throughout the rest of the day, um, getting your sleep in and then doing that every day. What do you estimate you're eating them calorie wise a day? Any idea? Um, on my really high days, it would be like 7,000. Uh, and I'm kind of hanging out around 6,000 right now, maintaining this weight. So I'm, I'm happy that I can maintain this weight, um, without having to continuously like feel like I'm going to puke. Um, <laughs> but, um, I use like, I'm using carb powders and things like that to help, uh, okay. get those calories in. And you're holding pretty well earlier in the conversation. You said you go to bed around 310, you wake up about 304. Um, for someone your size to only drop six pounds overnight, that's pretty good. I mean, I think it was Jay Cutler had said that, you know what, when you wake up at the same weight that you go to bed at, then you're in a good holding pattern for weight. And I think that's really difficult to get to. But, yeah, you're, you're not dropping too much overnight. Uh, no plans to get any bigger? Um, I don't I don't know if I need to. I, yeah. Obviously, I need to put on muscle, but I don't think necessarily that I need to be trying to, like, tip the scales at 350 pounds to no. necessarily get to where I want to be on stage. What I have in my mind is that my stage weight would be uh, 260 the next time I step on stage. And yeah. generally, I lose about 40 pounds from off-season to contest. And, uh, and, and from where I am now, that would be 260 on stage. But at the same time, I want to continuously build my body at this weight. Um, mm. Basically, lose the fluff and, and put on muscle while being right. on the same weight. I tend to see, like I'm seeing a lot of bodybuilders hit that 300 plus pound weight kind of once and that allows them to get to the size that they need. And then they almost seem to not need to go up that heavy again the following year in off season. They just get into refining what they have. And so you might not have to go up to 300 plus pounds next year, for instance. So it's it's got to be a struggle. Let's talk about like the cost of, of being a pro um, just on a day-to-day -day normal basis food-wise. How does that look like? Is, is it more than you ever anticipated it would be? Um, I mean, it adds up. But, yeah, I mean, we're probably spending like 300 bucks a week on food. But I don't know. I mean, it, it is a lot of money. But um, I guess, you know, you have to account for that. You know, like, you, you know you're going to be spending a lot of money on food. You know, you got to pay gym memberships. It's just it, it's something that you pay towards. Um, yeah. But it's an investment, essentially, if this is like a career. Um, I look at it like as if I was, you know, a pro paintball player. You know, I would need to be I need to buy paint. I need to buy clothes to play in. I need to buy gear. Right. Um, I need to travel the same way that you would travel, you know, to compete and stuff like that. So um, I think I think a lot of sports require you to put out money in order to sure. be your best, um, especially like, you know, food, like no matter what athlete you are, you're going to need to eat. Um, it's just that bodybuilders eat a little bit more. Yeah, um, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, like we budget for it. So it's all good. No, you know, ultimately it's an investment uh, in your business. Yeah. And your business is your body and your business is you. So, you know, it's not like you're going out and, and wasting money. It is it is what you need to do to support your, your business of bodybuilding. So, yeah. I mean, you got to do it. And really, you say 300 bucks a week now. Okay, that's for two people. I spend way more than that a week now. I got three youngsters. So, eh, there you go. Horses. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it, it is, people need to understand that it is not cheap to compete at all. No. No, it's not. I mean, you look at, I mean, if you go back and listen to the podcast I did with Nick Augustine, who talked about the Toronto Pro cost for him, 
And I think he had said it was six or seven thousand bucks to get ready for that show. For him. Yeah, I'm sure it's possible. Tanning yeah. and, and posing suits and photo shoots and food and all this crap, you know. I mean, it's it's not cheap at all. I mean, I booked my my tan for for the pro show or not the pro show, the the Regan show. It was a hundred and eighty bucks for for your yeah. tan. Yeah, you know, and you know, you start throwing that in there, and you start throwing in your hotels and the food, and because you know yourself, you get to the Toronto show when you were doing it, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna need maybe rice, maybe rice cakes, maybe potato. May- so you bring it all, right? So yeah. It is what it is, but I think the investment is going to come back and, and return into you. I'm, I'm really anxious to see the package you're going to stage. Like this, the package you put on stage for the pro show was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I remember, actually, I looked through some of your highlights today. Um, it was absolutely astounding. And I remember we announced it when you when you took your pro card. And I think people were kind of surprised that, that you had won. But not you. You weren't surprised at all because you had premeditated that it was going to happen, right? So right. they say see it or, or name it and claim it, as they say. Um, yep. and see it's your vision and make it happen well I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and man I, I never even got through half of the questions that I had I'd written down a bunch more and we've been on for over an hour uh, maybe you'd be uh, willing to come back again someday when, when you get closer to competition season um, you know I'll start dieting in the summer probably right. early July so okay. um, if you want me to come back you just let me know and I'll be here man I'm happy to do it had a Absolutely. great time chatting um, I'm sure we could probably talk for a couple more hours. So, um, uh, if you get some more questions then write them down and we'll talk, man. Oh, absolutely, man. You know what? I don't have many people to talk about this stuff with. So it's, it's great to talk to someone like yourself and all the other guests we've had uh, that are so passionate about it, uh, and, and live the bodybuilding lifestyle and put it out there for us all to see, which is really great. Cause you're someone that we aspire to, uh, as a community, we look at Robin and we say, you know what, he's, he's living the dream that we're pursuing. So, uh, you know, we learn from you and, and, and that, and you're willing to get out there and do that. And it's great that you're putting the content out there. Keep those blogs coming. They're absolutely fantastic. I'd like to see them a little longer because my sure. cardio is, is 30 minutes. So I need 30 minutes at least of, of vlogs. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Um, sure. Yeah, definitely appreciate the uh, constructive criticism, you know, cause <laughs> I was, I, I've, I've been doing a uh, different, you know, lengths of video to kind of figure out what, what video yeah. length works the best? What gets the most views? Um, yeah. I haven't done 30 minutes yet. So for the next one, I'll, I'll make it a little longer and, you know, see, you know, how it goes. But uh, but it makes sense. You know, if you're going to sit down and, and watch something for your whole cardio session, well, you want it to be 30 minutes at least. So Absolutely. And I appreciate the small ones, too, because when I'm at work, it's just enough time for me to have a meal. So 10 nice. minutes will kind of, kind of do it, right? Well, yeah. thanks so much for coming on here. We really appreciate you coming and being so open and honest. I uh, wish you the best of luck in your competition season. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you before you, or when you get into prep and see prep faced Robin, that would be great. Yep. And keep doing what you're doing, man. You're inspiring us all every day. And we're really thankful to have you as part of the community and for being here with us tonight. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Awesome. We'll talk again really soon. Your source for all that is fitness. Ontario muscle. Subscribe.